0: Totally Football Show. As Liverpool fly off to Qatar, City fly in the Emirates. Will Lundberg soon be taxing and we need to talk about Kevin. Meanwhile, hello Chelsea who's this three points behind your tail? Just Jose after giving Wolves a licking with Vertonghen. That uh, Duncan Castles is jealous. Elsewhere we sift through all the blah 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 on Varsar and DNR in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And a big good morning to you, or afternoon, straight evening. Listener, thanks for being with us on the Totally Football Show. Us, in this case, being Daniel Storey. Good morning. From Football 365 and The Eye. Yep. And wherever yep. right-thinking football opinion pieces are published. That's a nice way of saying it. Excellent. Yeah. Similarly, Michael Cox from The Athletic. Hi, James. And we're joined by Anton Touloui from Sky Sports. Oh, I like how much enthusiasm is behind you now. It's hard that. to thank say you. your thank name you. without enthusiasm. It's the kind it's of name that invites you to take a run at it and really, really... It's, it's all the vowels, really it. isn't it? You either yeah. make an absolute Touloui. mess of it or you just go at it with gusto and hope how do for the you best. How do you say it, Anton? no, you said it. Angle. Touloui? Yeah. Because we had actually a listener recently who was saying, what's the football name that you most enjoy saying? I mean, I don't want to make you embarrassed, but I've got to say that Touloui right up oh, there for thank me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what a weekend! Did you enjoy the weekend, Michael? I did. It was a funny weekend. There was just lots of funny little
1: things happening in games that you know maybe you wouldn't thought were wouldn't have thought were particularly interesting on paper, and just some like funny little controversies, like the Moisa Kane substitution right. and the
0: Ian Acho thing. I thought was
1: really interesting.
0: Mm. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Ian Acho I did find funny, but Moisey Kane, I found actually quite quite gutting. But we'll we'll come on to all of that. Later on, uh, in entertainment stakes, hard to beat, of course, Burnley-Newcastle, which you dedicated an <laughs> in, entire article to. We'll come on to that later on. But maybe we should start, uh, Daniel, with perhaps the weekend's most predictable result, Arsenal-Man City. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. 3-0 Man City. Daniel, you were there. What did they miss in China? It
2: was a, re- I mean, it was a lamentable Arsenal performance. Everyone's seen that there is a blueprint to try and nerve Manchester City, which is to sort of defend with a low block and then hit them on the counter. And Arsenal, in their infinite wisdom, decided to do pretty much the opposite. They sort of tried to press high up the pitch, but that's not Mesut Özil's bag. So at least one of the central midfielders had to push forward to try and help him do that, which meant that Kevin De Bruyne was left in 10-15 yards of space in Arsenal's half probably 6 or 7 times in the game. Pep Guardiola said that they didn't play as well as they did against Manchester United. And I think he kind of has a point because they didn't need to play well. They never really got out of second gear. As soon as they'd got the third goal, they just they just went into sort of Olay mode and mm. you know passing de- around the back.
0: They declared as exactly as one right, of yeah. put it wide. Right. Um, I mean the, the game started well for Arsenal. <laughs> for 70 seconds or so when they had a shot on target with Martinelli Mm. and and then not a single one after that. That was it. They tried to press
2: high at the pitch but gave Fernandinho enough room to pick a pass. The pass goes into Gabriel Jesus who his run isn't spotted so he gets in behind and then nobody thinks to track Kevin De Bruyne's run from pretty much the halfway line to the edge of the box and he was brilliant yesterday but if you would give him the time and space to pick passes and pick shots then he's obviously going to hurt you.
3: Nobody thinks I think is a perfect summary of Arsenal as a whole, to be brutally honest. Dallying and ponderous is probably the way you'd describe Arsenal from top to bottom, be it on the pitch, be it, you know, be it the way they defend, be it the players' attitudes, be it their financial planning, be it their conduct in the transfer window and be it their, you know, their coaching search. Everything seems to be ponderous and it's, mm. it's really just letting them down and Arsenal have effectively just turned to this
0: dumpster fire of a football club right now. Well, Adam Arthurs asked, what do you think the floor is uh, with Arsenal? Is it a kind of Liverpool-United thing where they can slip to eight but remain a few transfers away from the elite? Or could they get worse a la Newcastle or AC Milan?
3: I think it's lower than... I think the ceiling is lower. I think it's sort of 12-13, to be brutally honest. But they've, they've got, effectively, three very good players in Leno in goal, um, Aubameyang, and like I said, it doesn't help when two of those players play in exactly the same position either. Mm. But, effectively, the rest of the squad, you can argue you could you know, they could they should and go and find replacements for each and every one. They've got two excellent fallbacks who are exciting but are injury prone. And the rest everybody else is kind of vulnerable or doesn't fit into a system because there isn't a system in place at Arsenal right now. It's just absolutely fascinating isn't it? There's such an imbalanced team and they've got so many exciting youngsters but you don't you know if you tried to teach a kid to swim by throwing them in a lake, that's what an abusive parent does. And that's effectively what Arsenal are doing Doesn't right sound now. That sounds familiar, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, you know, you look at what they did with Saka and Martinelli yesterday, for example, what they've done with Maitland-Niles and still playing him at right back, even though he was a really promising midfielder. And then they've got so much talent coming through. And it's, I think it's actually quite worrying if you're an Arsenal fan right now because you look at all these players and... Is one of them going to stand out by being the best
0: of a bad bunch? That's not how you make a good footballer. All right. Uh, Sky sources, Anton, are saying that Arsenal are pinning their hopes on bringing in Mikel Arteta. Uh, He's a man with three choices, I understand at the moment, Michael. Everton, City or Arsenal. Were you Mikel? Which would you opt for? I
1: think I'd stick it out and take over at City, to be honest, if that was on the table. Mm. Um, I think Everton's a difficult club at the moment. I think Arsenal's actually not a bad job now because I think this this group of players are so clearly underachieving and, and Anton's right about some of the weaknesses. But actually, I think they've got some good players there. They've got some good midfielders there. You need uh, more organisation to protect the defence and I think the centre-backs can look better. But I think it, if, you, if you take over Arsenal now, it's quite easy to take this group forward because they've just been so disorganised recently. And I must say... I, I thought City were really good in the first half hour and the, the goals they scored, you know, two brilliant goals from De Bruyne and I thought the, the team goal was just excellent the way they played through the Arsenal press. I didn't think Arsenal did it that badly, actually. Really? Yeah.
2: They're just no. not as good, are they? They're just not
1: as good and they were victim to some some really good play. I thought for long periods, the second half is a bit of a write-off, but I thought for for long periods in the first half, Arsenal actually played quite well.
0: Although, Daniel, you were pointing out the, the second De Bruyne goal came about because of a, a, I mean, an, another bit of indecision on the sideline.
2: Yeah, so uh, say a goes down injured, goes off to get treatment, comes back on and is very obviously hobbling. And you presume the message went to the bench at that point, we're giving it a go, but he's not guaranteed to stay on here. Klasnat then goes down again, but gets almost straight back up on his feet to walk off the pitch to be substituted, but there's no substitute ready. So rather than him just staying on the ground until Bukayo Saka was ready to come on, uh, he just came off so they played with 10 men De Bruyne is a very intelligent footballer and he just drifted out to that right where the space was picked up the ball, cut inside on his left and scored and you just think, it's a small thing but it, it's just emblematic of Arsenal at the moment, uh, the mood yesterday was interesting because that's as that's as angry as I've heard it, with Emery it was, there was no anger, it was just complete deflation whereas right. it was angry yesterday and was it Jacques-esque? Well, no, the the one reason for for holding on to Unai Emery while he managed his own decline was that Arsenal had a chance to source a new manager so that there was a a very smooth transition. You know, Pochettino was sacked and Jose Mourinho was appointed the next morning. It was a smooth transition. There was no hangover period. Arsenal both waited with Emery and yet a fortnight later we're now hearing we think Arteta is their first choice, who may not say yes to the job. That seems absurd that they had no succession plan in place when it when the decline was coming from months away. Right,
3: but I mean, the good thing about Arteta would be, and the, the club has clearly spoken to Arteta, and it's now up to City to almost. Effectively offer a counter proposal to Arteta and say, right, this is our long-term future for you, your development, and the big question about whether Pep stays or does another eight, you know, does another eighteen months and leaves. Um, so he's got to be going to have to be con- convinced about that. But Arteta does know Arsenal, and maybe he does. They need somebody that comes in because they they aren't going to completely sort of just change everything because they're not that kind of club. I don't think they're bold enough to go in and change absolutely everything.
0: Right. He's got Arsenal DNA, eh, hey, Daniel? Mm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, thank you for allowing me to. Plugger piece I wrote on Friday for the Eye, um, about this rise in DNA managers. Yeah, it does feel, for whatever reason, that clubs are if not prioritising, then certainly placing more value on managers who know the club uh, for better and for worse. Yeah, does it work? I, I think the weird thing is it's. I think it works in the extreme short term Oli Solskjaer is a great example of that maybe even Frank Lampard and I think it works in the extreme long term. I think Arteta would be a really good long term dynasty manager. I, I I think in the middle... Say, the, trying to get into the... Yeah, in over a period season. of a year, I think you can find troubles because I think you have a really fast start and then it slumps away. And the reality is in the Premier League now, the patience is not enough to keep faith in those managers beyond the long term. Well, why, like,
0: is, why is why that, that you would have a, a good start and then a slump and then possibly a return?
4: Well,
2: to, I, I think new managers... The reason for new managers to do well is because the very nature of their appointment is that the last guy failed. Right. So if you've got a manager who... Kind of knows the club and prides himself on inspiration and maybe talks up the history and right. I think that can work but if they're not tactically aware or haven't got enough aptitude then there then comes a bit of a dip which can only, be, you know, can only be resolved through time and that manager learning on the job but you don't get that time Excellent.
0: We need to talk about Ozil Lovely stat from Duncan Alexander Between them, Thibaut Courtois and Ben Foster have had as many shots on target as Mesut Ozil in league football this season He's uh, he's been a bit cheeky there by putting two <laughs> two keepers together, but still, I think the the point stands. Uh, Mezel, who did have a shot on target with a pair of gloves as he left the field, <laughs> uh, to a barrage of abuse. Is that right, Daniel? Uh, it was very much like the Jack
2: situation in that they there were a few boos for him, and the boos then increased because he walked off the pitch incredibly slowly and showed no wants to improve, you know, to increase his speed. Um, Given the off-field issues with Mesut Ozil over the weekend, I am inclined to be uh, far more defensive of him than than critical. Okay,
0: so he's deeply unpopular with Chinese authorities after speaking out about the persecution of their... uh of the, uh, well, the the Muslim minority in a northwestern region of Xinjiang, apologies if that pronunciation is right, which by all accounts yeah. some terrible things are going on. And he said basically, to not speak out against persecution is persecution. Has highlighted the issue. Strong reaction from China, where Arsenal's game against City was immediately taken off the TV schedules.
2: Yeah, and that was a predictable reaction. Less predictable was the fact that Arsenal uh, effectively. Uh, threw Özil under the bus and said we are apolitical, we can't get involved. And the reality is, this is not a political issue; it's a human rights issue. You know, United Nations have spoke against the the treatment of Muslims in China, and Mesut was completely within his rights to uh, you know to to comment on that. So, it, it, it's a it's a huge shame that a club can can prioritize financial means over over moral but and
3: it's a big deal for the Premier League here as well you only look at what happened when uh the Houston Rockets general manager tweeted out a pro Hong Kong in the um, NBA in the NBA mm. uh, tweet and and it caused mayhem the the Rockets games were taken off off uh, games in in China and not only were, were the Chinese authorities angry with the Houston Rockets they were angry with the way the NBA handled the situation and threatened to take their games off and that's a it's a huge marketplace and it's it's you know, we, we shouldn't be talking about these things when you know somebody should be able to speak their mind about mm-hmm. wh- whatever they want and obviously what a highlighting inequalities. In so effectively, um, it was a really really awkward diplomatic situation. Um, and there and then you had things like uh, uh, the fans going to Houston Rockets games holding up um, pro Hong Kong uh, signs and the directors having to cut away from crowd shots during games. Wow! Because. Because obviously they still NBA still wanted their games broadcast in China, right? Although at the time they weren't going out in China. Or? Well, at the time they were, just not the Rockets games. Oh, right. So it's that it's, it's that it's that horrible thing where actually it almost it'll kind of will make it worse because it increases the censorship in, around the product that they you know that the, the, was before this before the tweet free of censorship if that makes sense. And uh,
0: is uh, the Rockets
3: games still not being shown I in China? Back, I think they're back. back on air now. So right. But yeah, it's um, it's. It's ridiculous that we even have to talk about these kind of commercial aspects because, like like, like Daniel was saying, it's just somebody speaking their mind about, about mm. a human rights atrocity. Right. Actually, and
1: during Arsenal's last caretaker stint, they were known as the Houston Rockets as well. Their caretaker
3: <laughs>
0: manager Stuart was Stuart, Stuart Houston. Houston. Houston yeah, yeah. Right? Get another 15, 20 minutes five minutes. Listener, that's Liverpool currently touching down in Qatar for the Club World Cup, or at least half of Liverpool, or most of them in fact. Bits of them stayed behind in grey old England to take on Aston Villa in the League Cup quarterfinals on Tuesday. But the main bunch will be taking a Monterey of Mexico. Do you know much about the Albiazules? No. Okay, they've got Vincent Janssen up front for them. (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Five goals in seventeen, <laughs> which is three more than he managed in three years at Spurs, actually. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah, they had a three-two win over Al Sadd on Saturday night to qualify for what is this, the semi-final on? Yeah, on Wednesday. Anything else we know about Monterey, Anton? They have. Uh,
3: the brother of former Everton defender Rodrigo Funes Mori up front. Okay, nice.
0: Who's staying behind them for the league Cup? Who gets to play that?
3: I mean well, the under twenty threes yeah. or half the under twenty threes
1: as a couple of players are injured and a couple of them have gone out to to Qatar. So Okay. Um, it's even weaker than I expected. Yeah. I thought he might keep a couple, like Lalana could probably do with 90 minutes, probably right. won't feature that much in Qatar, but he's really sent the whole mm. squad. And like Anton says, some of the kids who you would expect to be playing in the League Cup. So, I mean, Villa have done quite well out of this. Right. It sounds like
0: you're spending a week with Qatar as well. Yes, way. very good. Yeah. <laughs> Liverpool, not the only big name, is going to Qatar for the Club World Cup. A hey, Anton, no, the Lightning Seeds are performing. In Ask the, your in, parents, in... listeners. <laughs>
3: yeah. Oh, don't make so. Now you make me feel old. <laughs> that's just. Oh, that, I wish I hadn't said that joke. Now, that's thanks. No, no, but do go no, on. No, no, the Lightning Seeds are performing in the in the in the Doha Sports Park
0: just outside um, as part of the fan experience. Right. Uh, if you're Qatar, surely you can afford someone a bit more topical than.
2: I like it. The Life of Riley is one of the great 90s football songs, so I have no issue with them playing that, soundtracking a Liverpool highlights video to the life of Riley. That's fine. Okay. A couple of years ago,
1: there was uh, the FWA have a kind of tribute dinner every year, and it was to Stephen Gerrard a couple of years ago, and the band they got in with the Lightning Seeds, obviously because they're
0: did he hit the DJ?
1: No, he didn't. <laughs>
2: Phil Collins Has, was in. Yeah.
1: There's no DJ in in the Lightning Seeds. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. No, Link, they're, they're, they're not a Linkin Park. No, that's fair. But <laughs> okay. the, the thing that uh, I liked about that was uh, the Lightning Seeds now have a saxophonist who was uh, the saxophonist from the Zootons. Oh, yeah. Really? As if, like, you know... Exciting. You know how, like, ex-Liverpool players always used to go to Tranmere? <laughs> like, they, they just stay in the local
0: area and find the nearest band they can find. Nice. I enjoyed that. OK. Nice. Anyway, before they went, Liverpool's main side were involved in a curious top two v bottom two thing this weekend as they hosted Watford and Leicester took on Norwich. Fair to say that neither was quite the blowout that we expected, Michael. Yeah, I think Liverpool arguably put in their least
1: convincing performance of the season, actually. They weren't very good away at Sheffield United, I remember, but Sheffield United, as we can see from the Premier League table, were just a very good team. Watford aren't, and they had probably better chances than Liverpool here. Mm. A couple run, of the, no. Yeah, I mean, a couple of the chances they didn't even really manage to get shots away because Saar and Decore produced quite bizarre air kicks. Daly Feo had a one-on-one. Van Dijk had a, a weird moment where he nearly scored no an goal, and... And Liverpool's goals really came out of... Uh, I mean, obviously, the second one was in stoppage time. But, uh, yeah, I thought Watford played quite well here and, and Liverpool very much off
0: the pace. Are you seeing signs of improvement, then, under Nigel Pearson?
1: I, I mean, a little bit. They seem relatively well organised. I thought they attacked in quite a good way. Saar was lively. Um, Deeney looks not quite fit. There was one chance where I think he probably should have got his toe on the end of it and didn't. Um, but, yeah, they look decent. I mean... It's, it's quite a big margin to overcome, isn't it? Six points already, but um, yeah, they looked all right. Okay, they need
0: to start scoring, though, Daniel.
2: Yeah, they're, you know, yeah, as Michael says, they didn't even get connect with the ball on on two of the shots. But even when they do connect, they don't generally score. They've had twenty five shots now in the last three games without scoring. Their shot conversion rate is abysmal. It's what, four point four percent, which is a full four percent below any other team. And who's the, the next best? Uh, Next worst is Southampton, who are second bottom. Wow, uh, who are third bottom. Pretty disastrous at conversion. Yeah, well, the, the difference between Watford and Southampton is just Danny Ings, because I think his, his shot conversion rate is better only by Vardy and Aubameyang this season. Wow. So Danny Ings aside, those two clubs are in absolute shambles in front right. of goal.
0: Well, luckily, you've got a transfer window just around the, the corner. Anton, you once presented a show about transfers, <laughs> so you're now an expert, just like I'm World's Strongest Man. So what, what do you see happening at uh, Vicarage Road transfer-wise in January? a lot of it depends on what Pearson wants because okay. I mean, in fairness Cabaselli
3: and Cascar thought, actually played quite well on Saturday at the back it's more the fact that they've got you know, Saar, Decore, Hughes they're not bad players these players they're just they've either A. got a complete lack of confidence yeah. or B. they've, they've they're just sort of declining. But I, Watford struck me as the kind of club, that if they do go down, other Premier League teams will just pick the carcass and take players out and actually show them, show you how good they are.
1: I wouldn't right. be surprised if Liverpool did, actually. I mean, I think Deleufeo could play wide in their front three. And I think uh, Decore would be a really good number eight for them. And you look at that Liverpool team, and obviously they're 10 points clear at the top of the league. They used three players that have been relegated from the Premier League in the last couple of years on, on Saturday. Shakiri, Wijnaldum and Robertson. So it goes to show that there are some really good players who you know you can pick up for... Pretty pretty small values mm. compared to some of the fees
0: we see. By the way, uh, thanks for all your messages about Emma Saunders, who, you recall, her coat and uh, alpaca-walking rosette were Did- taken from a car after a break-in. Police apparently say they have no leads, much like Watford themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Is uh, that
2: called kicking someone when they're down? I think yeah. so, yeah.
0: <laughs> Salary, two, go- two games, three mm. fantastic goals. Yeah, they're really good. I mean, the
1: first one I like because I think he knew... It was a very windy day, which I think affected a lot of teams and maybe affected Watford's air-kicking shooting. But the first one, he used the wind really well. And the second one was just brilliantly instinctive. I'd have a a bit of a question mark about Cavaseli, who was appealing for offside when he should have locked the ball and got nutmegged. Couldn't stop a pig in an alley, as I believe they say in Scotland. Is that right? Mm. <laughs>
0: um, you're busy slotting Dale Lefevre into Liverpool's future lineup, but where would you place Sir Minamino, who apparently is on his way to Anfield? Oh well, he's a really good player, isn't he? I mean, he's
1: would look perfect for that system. Could probably play as in the Firmino role, I think, a little bit deeper, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe as an attack-minded number eight. But yeah, he just looks perfect for the a- kind of football absolute club. Absolute snip! I saw a seven and a half million. Yeah, that's crazy.
3: There's I mean, that's you know, I, mean, I know the sort of Red Bull Empire have done well about you know signing players, young and developing them, and selling off. But it's a
0: bit of mismanagement on their point, putting in such a low uh, release fee. All right. So, when's he going to be moving? Is it the end of the season?
3: No, uh, no, 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 January. no, January. In
0: January. Mm. And, uh, and will Erling Haaland be following him out the door mid-season? He's, he's going.
3: He's definitely going in January. I mean, he's, he's already on a whistle-stop tour, isn't he, of the places that he quite fancies going. He's, right. he's been to Dortmund. Yes. He's been to RB Leipzig uh-huh. already, which kind of the move that makes sense. Um, and we know Manchester United have an interest in him. Uh, and it, out of all the Premier League teams, he seems the most logical fit because uh, he'll play. And the other thing, he can't necessarily guarantee he'll walk into a starting lineup at a at a sort of top four team in pretty much most of Europeans, Europe's big leagues. Mm. And it's interesting with Haaland, isn't it, because of his background and his father and that kind of thing. And you know, he turned down Juventus to go to Salzburg originally. They've clearly put football at the focus first. He wouldn't be going to look at, you know, it's very calculated going to Dortmund, considering uh, they've had an injury to Arcassa up front as well. So clearly they're targeting him going to a club and playing right now right. as opposed to going and get the, the biggest paycheck possible
2: okay I think it's, it strikes me as very uh, symbolic that Liverpool are going out and getting a, a seven point two five million pound player who has, has literally just come on the scene and to our eyes in kind of the last few weeks maybe months uh, and Manchester United will probably drop sixty seventy million pounds on the next big thing next big name whether he fits the team or not whether the manager will be around to, to bring him through or not it just strikes as very symbolic of both of those two clubs planning at the moment but- Manchester
3: United are fascinating there because even in their investor calls they admit that when they're linked to players in the transfer window they earn money because of all the social media interest and in therefore all the advertising that they get from it the more they're talked about with these big name players that's why, they, that's why they don't really care about being linked with a £7.5 million footballer they could be linked with a £60 million, £60 million footballer it's more impressions, it's more tweets it's more interest online, it's more revenue so how do they get revenue from that? From from people like going straight to your you know going to your clubs, um, uh, Twitter pages and All websites right. and that kind of thing, and the advertising you get from from interest.
1: Huh. I like this tour he's doing. Like he's nineteen. That's it's 70. kind of like the equivalent of like doing university open days at that age. You know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Shouldn't he be filming it and calling it my decision though? If he was really wow. A la Griezmann style. Yeah, that's what. Um, anyway, hey, let's talk about Leicester. Who are going to be facing Everton in those uh, League Cup quarterfinals? The other ones being Oxford United against Man City and Man United hosting Colchester. But Everton hosting Leicester. Leicester who had this 1-1 draw with Norwich. The the Canaries ending the Foxes' eight-game winning run. It's something that they do, isn't it? Struggle against the little sides but take points off Man City, Arsenal, Everton and now uh, Jamie Vardy and co.
1: Yeah, they look really good in Norwich. Really, they came closest to getting the winner with uh,
0: Pookie running in behind a couple of times. Right, with his fractured toe.
1: Yeah, that's a bit of an issue.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Colliding with the... I presume that was when he slid into the post, no? Mm. Um, So he opened the scoring and continued his recent run of good form. And then you had Jamie Vardy who kind of bent it in of um, of cruel's Krul. hands. I think that should go down as a Vardy goal. I feel so too, but for a very, very personal reason. <laughs> but, mm. but yes. Um, and then there was this kind of Norwich fight back inspired by... By show, Right. Mm. Yeah. A moment you
1: really enjoyed. Well, there's often a bit of a grey area with these situations where should you give it back, shouldn't you give it back, but... You should give it back, Mike. I mean, in that situation, you definitely should give it so back. So just <laughs> break, it, break it down for us two two players went down injured one from either side after a, a bit of a collision uh a Norwich player put the ball out straight away and then when Leicester had the throw in two or three players were beckoning for Iheanacho just to put it back to the goalkeeper and he cut inside and <laughs> tried to score and it was just it was so blatant and none of the Leicester players were even kind of backing up going for the pass it was right. just what are you doing and I kind of understand why the Norwich players were so upset, albeit the scenes were a little bit OTT, and Cantwell, slightly lucky, didn't
0: get in more trouble yeah, for that. Yeah, that was amazing. So there's a kind of big melee and a whole group of Norwich players surround Acho on the on the ground, and Cantwell yeah. grabs him by the throat.
1: It seems. Yeah, and then Rogers takes off Iheanacho shortly afterwards, presumably right. for bad sportsmanship.
2: Interesting. It's, it's, an odd, it's, it's odd that that is still officially a, a kind of a spirit of the law thing, rather than just, I mean, just write it down. If a player kicks the ball out because someone's injured and they get it back, they have to give the ball back to the opposing goalkeeper. It seems so obvious that you wouldn't just write it down. Well,
1: it's- they ch- they changed it with a drop ball
3: mm. law, didn't they? So why not just formalise it in and it's, general?
2: Especially because,
1: I mean, sometimes there's a area. I think, when a team puts it out because their own player's down. There's... You can kind of argue with that, but there was one player from either side down. It's in everyone's interest for the physio to come on, so you can't just continue and take them by surprise.
0: But that incident kind of fired the Canaries back up to hold on for the draw and, and even push for a, a winner.
3: Yeah, galvanised them. It, it really did. I really think it did. I mean, it was, it was fascinating watching that. I mean, I'm not saying Norwich have lacked fight, and then they they've been they just have lacked quality. I think a lot of the time they've got a, long, a lot of young defenders, but it just it just seemed to unite the team and it just made them a little bit nastier he gave soyenchu and you know they were they, he was he was brilliant and sort of negligible at times as well he had a really sort of shaky and yet brilliant game because norwich was so difficult because they were so pumped and they were they were just, it was just fascinating to watch if they play like that every week then they might have a chance of staying up i always think with norwich though when you watch them you know do well you always think yeah but they're still probably going to go down and you know at least
0: at least this time you know there's a little bit more hope i think um is this a bad time for Leicester to be having a, a wobble with Everton away in the League Cup and then Man City and then Liverpool?
1: I mean, if they're going to overhaul Liverpool for the title, which I don't think they are, but if they are, it will be December because of the fixtures, you know, two big wins they would get if it was, you know, if they were to beat City and Liverpool. And also Liverpool have got this fixture congestion. So, yeah, they need to they need to make ground up in the next few weeks or so, I would suggest.
2: Yeah, so- I mean... I- Brendan Rodgers said no, no one here was talking about the title anyway there will be some frustration that it came undone in a supposedly gentler fixture but they're still 13 points ahead of 5th place and that's, you know, even finishing the top 4 would be considered in the in the context of the whole season would be an extraordinary success so I assume that's what the focus now turns to
0: Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for oh and the keeper's let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty or
5: Man United have again conceded a late equaliser.
0: But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1-5 to on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. 18 and cs apply. 18+
4: On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
0: Duncan Ferguson rides again, piloting Everton to a 1-1 draw away at Man United. Let's talk about tactics. Game one with Duncan was a kind of kick up the backside routine. This time he went with wearing a shirt and tie in the cold and rain, and brutalising Moisa Kane. What what are we seeing? It seems to be working, though. I mean, what kind of tactical plan is taking shape here, do you think? Well, they played a similar system. They played two up front. Again, I thought they were
1: relatively well organised, especially because they had a real injury shortage in midfield. So we're playing Mason Holgate there, um, which is very much not his position. Um, But yeah, I mean, I thought they did okay. I don't think that they were exposed to Manchester United much of the time. I thought they, they looked a lot more solid than under Marco Silva. Um, the system seems to suit them well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can argue with the, the job he's done so far. I'm, I'm far from convinced he deserves the job on a full-term basis, which right. there has been some discussion of that. But as a short-term caretaker
0: thing, yeah, well done. In terms of long-term management, what taking off Moise Kane, who'd only come on, what, about 18 minutes before? Yeah. About two minutes before the end of the game, then ignoring him... As he left the field, that seems like really bad kind of long-term management for the club's biggest investment of the summer. I think there's an argument for
1: that. But I was speaking to someone who was there who, and who was saying um, Ferguson was just constantly shouting at Kane to do something. And Kane was just ignoring his instructions and drifting into different positions. So I do have some sympathy. If there's a player there who's kind of actively ignoring the manager... Maybe you do have to take a stance. I agree. The the kind of way it looks isn't great, and, right. and Kane's having a difficult time in that. But yeah, I, I'm sorry, part of being a professional footballer is you, you've kind of got to do what your manager expects of you.
2: There was a minute left, though. I mean, well, he said it was a time wasting thing, didn't he? But the, oh, did he? He did. But you'd think he would have at least given him a tap or something yeah, as he and, came off the field.
1: But yeah, why should he yeah. give him a tap if the player's kind of taking the piss? Also, a Duncan Ferguson tap still seems still sounds terrible.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a still bruised, isn't it? I think that. I agree with Michael that there's no way he should be given the job on a full-time basis. Partly because all that seen to me that's improved is that they're incredibly uh, resilient in defence. They've allowed 38 shots in two games. I thought what was really interesting is uh, a quarter of the, of the shots they've blocked this season have been in the last two games. There was twice, wow, twice yesterday where they were just throwing themselves in front of the ball. And the reality is they weren't doing that for Marco Silva. Right, so throwing
0: that- themselves down to keepers as well. Yes. Right. Ferguson's job is to
2: motivate that squad for the next manager. And he's doing that perfectly. Anything more than that, I think, is would be foolish.
3: One, one thing he's done, he's allowed Everton time. Because the way that Everton operate is that they don't need a manager that's going to come in and sort of sell you the big vision for the club. They've got that in Marcel Brands, who's the guy that goes out and his technical team go out and buy the players. What they need is a coach. You know, the coach has sort of you know, set up a system and maximize the players that they brought into the club. Now you can argue the reason that people are saying Ferguson should get the job is because he's doing that right now but he's also got a very damaged squad that he's doing it with and obviously they need a long term strategy so really what they need is a coach but as as you kind of just saying now, I, whether he's the right person I, full-time, I don't know. But he, had, like, he has bought Everton time, which is crucial when they want to try to find the next right appointment.
0: Right. Well, they're three points off the drop at the moment. Next up, well, the run uh, coming up for them is uh, they've got Arsenal at home next, and then Burnley at home, then Newcastle away. So mm. the opportunity perhaps there uh, for them to move away from the danger zone. On United, they were very upset that uh, Everton's goal was given, uh, Victor Lindelof, Basically, the ball bouncing off him after De Gea was... Uh, I was
2: yeah. watching with the, at the Emirates with the sound down and mm. therefore was just watching the replays of the VAR. I, I couldn't believe the goal was given. Really? I don't think it was, you know, it's not a, a horrible foul or anything, but they are, you know, precedent says that those fouls are always given. As soon as a striker connects with the face of a goalkeeper before the ball has arrived at them, to me, they are always given as fouls. I, I honestly was astounded that it wasn't disallowed by VAR. I think I think that's one of those instances. If they had a pit side monitor and the referee had then watched it, he'd have gone, OK, yeah, I didn't see that. That's it wasn't a just
0: a 50-50 ball, you think?
2: But it, it, with goal, Player to player, that sometimes happens, but striker to goalkeeper has never been a 50-50 in terms of refereeing decisions. Yeah. The goalkeepers have always been protected. You can like that or not, but precedent has dictated that that wouldn't always be given as a foul normally. I was really, really surprised.
0: OK. That aside, uh, much as we expected, uh, United did have trouble breaking down... Everton Uh, MVR Murty says is there a tactical solution when this Man United squad tries to unlock deep-lying defences there's only so many teams they can counter-attack against
1: yeah I mean Solskjaer to be fair was quite honest afterwards and said his players kind of ran out of ideas which I think is true I mean they just don't have the kind of complex combination play that City have or Liverpool have or even Chelsea have they I just can't see any coaching or or anything that makes me to you know make me think
0: they might be moving is, towards. Is it being just a question there? of getting someone more creative in midfield, say Pogba when he comes back one day? So
2: it's is Do you
0: think Matus? is an it's answer? Certainly said, but
1: I think it's about the collective as well. I just I don't know how much they work on the training ground on, you know, even doing what Sheffield United do, which is just constantly rotating positions and creating right. overloads and finding players in space. They just don't really do that. The one thing I'd say for United, and this might sound like a really obscure way to praise them, is. I looked after the way they played against City. I looked at the, li- uh, the team sheet and the lineup and thought, yeah, that. There are combinations there. There are things that have worked well in previous games, whereas usually it just feels like a really loose collection of players. Right. And I do kind of see a bit more of an identity there than a few weeks ago. Right. Oh, that might change when Pogba comes back because I think actually Fred and McTominay are playing quite well together. At that. Okay.
0: And Mason Greenwood continuing his e- extraordinary form when given a chance. Yeah, I think there.
3: are I completely agree with Michael. I think there are many positives to actually take away from Manchester United. I think that defence could ne- could arguably be their defence, and they can develop together for the next five years, which is you know not many. Teams in the Premier League can say that. Never mind, you know Manchester United who have been you know, try to bring in plug-in starters all the time, and it just hasn't worked. I think the number ten issue is is fascinating because, you know, not just Paul Pogba coming back, but you know also his contract. He's only got 18 months left on his contract, so United have a big business decision to make, and they can't maximise a sale in January because he hasn't been fit. So that probably means they won't go out and buy a number ten now. You'd argue they need one anyway because United should be in Europe next season. Like that's what they should be aiming for. So, as well as the number nine, they need they need a number ten. Somebody because if you're playing Lingard in that position, you're only gonna, you know it's it's not going to be good enough to sort of break
0: down teams because they're so direct. Hmm. All right, well let's move on to the top four race, which saw Chelsea, who are currently in fourth, beaten by Bournemouth, Spurs winning, and they're now just three points away from the Champions League positions. And of course, next weekend. Spurs with Josie Mourinho hosting Chelsea. Mm. Man United are only a point further back. And so are Sheffield United. It's remarkable. First off, uh, Chelsea's defeat at home to Bournemouth, which was Bournemouth's third win in five visits to the bridge. Remarkable statistic that since they came up to the Premier League in 2015, no visiting team has won more top-flight games at Sanford Bridge than they have. Hmm.
2: Yeah, and a- another big problem for Chelsea. They've now lost four of the last five league games, which it's um, kind of been overshadowed by the fact that they're still three points clear because they had such a huge buffer before. Mm. But Lampard's got a... a what well, Chelsea have got a big decision to make because it was almost easier when they had the transfer ban because Lampard didn't have a choice and he was brought in with Morris to bring through the young players and this was a free roll of the dice. Now they can buy players in January. They've suddenly got a choice to make because they either stick with the young players and reason that they learn more about them you know, through tough times anyway, or they say, well, hang on a minute, we need to get back in the Champions League or right. we need to stay in the Champions League. Do we go out and buy three players in January?
0: All right. Is this the start of Bournemouth's kind of bounce back? You know, they had the five-game defeats that Duncan was talking about on Thursday and now they're going to have five in a row. Yeah, it's just States what World. they do.
2: They just lurch between good and poor form and that's the reason that Eddie Howe hasn't been able to establish them in the top half. But for a, a club of Bournemouth's historic size, it's right. a
0: pretty nice problem to have. Do you think Matt Davis-Adams was mentioned in Eddie Howe's pre-game Talk,
2: uh, yeah. Pin pin the audio pin copy Matt. of the Totally Football Show on or the dressing Yeah.
0: Can can we salute Dan Gosling for his remarkable uh, chutzpah and indeed finishing? Yeah,
1: it was a brilliant goal. I really really liked the invention, the awareness that you know he judged it right as well. think yeah. it was quite a difficult technique. And, very difficult. You know, fair play to VAR. Did its job there. You know, it'd be poor form to just criticise it when it gets it wrong. So right. it worked
0: very well there. But of course, overall, it's it's terrible. Fair. All right. Oh, here's a cheeky question from Richard Brunning. Any comparison between Lampard's Chelsea start and Solskjaer's at United?
2: I think the defensive problems have been they exist before... Lampard, And we should remember that basically their first choice defence last season contained David Luiz, uh, Antonio Rudiger and uh, Alonso. And none of them have played regularly this season. So I think that right. is always going to happen. The worry is that the goals seem to have dried up a little bit. Um, teams seem to, particularly with a lack of low block, seems to have managed to thwart Chelsea a bit easier. And they look pretty lost without Mateo Kovacic at the weekend. He mm. he is one of those players who looks more important in, in, in his absence sometimes than when he's playing. So... Yeah, as I say, they've got a decision to make in January whether they back Lampard, because Lampard doesn't have a history. You know, he's never bought players before. He's never bought, spent big money before. This is his thing was young players. But would he be the person making the decision? No, but it, it's about it's about managing the pathway for those young players right. for the rest of the season because it was always meant to be about this season is a free roll of the dice with the kids. If you then bring in three senior players, suddenly the pressure's on to get top four, whatever happens with the kids. right?
3: Frank Lampard will basically identify the the areas he wants experience. So if you take, for example, their centre-back situation at the moment, they've got four very good centre-backs, two of whom are exceptionally promising. Um, And yet you'd argue they probably need some real experience at the back and some leadership at the back. And that means you probably need to get one of them out. It means you're going to have to sort of, you know, either send out like Christensen, Christensen or Tamori on loan, yeah. loan or, or sell them um, which are obviously not going to sell Tamori because he's just signed a new contract but you know is that kind of it's the knock on effect mm. that Lampard knows is going to affect his squad same with William, who's out of contract in the summer yeah they, they're going to need a veteran to sort of you know to drive them forward to help create the chances especially when they're struggling he's clearly not probably in the best form of his life so again it's that kind of ripple effect of how it affects the squad who needs to leave when they bring in a veteran
1: and I think as well we've we've kind of not mentioned it because they played so well but they lost their best player by miles in the summer mm. and you look at the games they've lost against you know, West Ham and Bournemouth against with respect a right back Ryan Fredericks and Jack Stacey they're the kind of games that Hazard would kind of win on his own last year well he mm. did at
0: West Ham didn't he yeah. mm. he was fantastic alright so, uh, next up uh, then it is Spurs away A Spurs team just three points behind them after their late late 2-1 victory at Wolves remember when Spurs couldn't win away Jose does that's two wins on the road out, of, out mm. of his three since he took over. And they were 12 points behind the top four. And now they're only three. Remarkable.
2: Yeah. The, uh, winning late on was became the theme of, of the Pochettino, the successful Pochettino era. Uh, last season, the Champions League alone, mm. late wins against Inter, PSV. Obviously, remember Ajax. That's classic Mourinho. Playing badly and still getting the job done. He will be happier with that win than he than any of his others so far, <laughs> I'm sure. Lucas Moura wasn't playing badly; that was fantastic corner. Mm. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What... Yeah, I mean it was. <laughs> <Yep>. yeah, <laughs> I believe. Yep. You. Yep. And good. also,
1: interesting thing here was no subs in the game until the 89th minute. Yeah, and then Eriksson comes on, whips in a corner, and Vertonghen heads home.
3: Wow, it's it's you know I mean we can it seems lazy to say it but it's just classic Mourinho isn't it? Bringing Dier and Ali in, and Dier just sort of wanders around, knocks the ball backwards mainly, and just you know Ali you know that's kind of typical Mourinho doesn't mind doesn't mind sort of tracking back and putting his foot in and a bit of fight and it's all just you know it's it, it's annoyingly predictable Mourinho but it's but it's working.
1: I thought man of the match here actually was probably Adam Traoré. Right, it was brilliant. I mean there was an there was a spell where three Spurs players got booked for hacking him down within 15 minutes, which, you know, shows how dangerous he was. And it's a funny one because he, we all said that he kind of improved a bit when he, Went back to wing back, and now they've changed back to three four three. So he's playing further forward, and it's almost like the confidence boost he got from getting on the ball more at wing back is kind of carried through to him playing more as a forward. And his goal was really good, and I think it was Vertonghen backing off, and it was almost like he didn't think Traore could do that because he's not the kind of player that we associate with scoring goals from that position. He's, you know, the only goals I can remember from him are Man kind City. of one on one situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this was kind of like outside the box, a bit of a long ranger right. rather than kind of direct one-on-one but he seems to be improving that side of his game and uh, yeah it's nice to see because I think he's just an exciting player to watch
3: it's it's Nuno it's Nuno Espirito Santo, so he'll sign a player, and he basically just—he—he's so rigid with his tactics. He drills it into the players. And you know, when he signed Dandonka last season, he barely played him for the first six months because he didn't deem him ready to play in his system. And now he's also position, positionally changed. He's gone to the back because of having sort of shortage at the back since Willy Boli's gone as well. So, and that's what—that's what Nuno does. He will not trust a player until he knows that he can play not just in one position in his in his team, but two or three. Mm. And he's seen it with Adama Treori as well add to that with confidence and he's seeing the player that many people
0: never thought they'd see
3: in the Premier League Brilliant
0: Well after this we'll talk about Sheffield United and the big battle down the bottom we'll also be asking anti-possession who did it better Steve Bruce Sean Dyche or Father Karras Boom Sheffield United were up in 5th uh, they're now back down in 7th after Sunday's action but they were up in 5th and they pulled off their first back-to-back victories In the top flight since Sir Grandstand came off the air in 2006. Wow. John Fleck, a.k.a. the Scottish Rooney. Mm. The return... The return thereof, mm-hmm. Anton. I,
3: I, I find it really difficult to talk about Sheffield United because I don't want to seem patronising by saying, oh, they're just doing really well. And, but actually, thought, tactically, I thought they were absolutely brilliant against Villa. And the way the, the three central midfielders sort of almost changed their roles in the game was, was fascinating. And I'm, I feel a bit bad talking about tactics friend Michael Cox. But mm-hmm. um, it was it's fascinating. So Norwood sat deep and they moved Lundstrom over to the right to basically just mm-hmm. nullify Jack Grealish which meant actually Fleck had half as many touches as, as, um, as Norwood. And yet he had space in, in, down the left channel to just run and fight. You know, Most of his touches came just outside the box. And it was fascinating because Villa just had no answer for it. It was the, the midfield three completely dominated for Sheffield United. And that's all down to Chris Wilder. He knew exactly how to not just nullify the best player, but to also exploit the space because Villa are so open. But Flex fascinating. Flex, you know, you think about he's one of those typical sort of players that in, in that Sheffield United squad that was written off by a, you know, a bigger club when he was developing as a youngster, has gone away, played in sort of League One, League Two, and, and come back and shown that how good he is and how good you know, he fits into a system when a manager truly believes in him.
2: Wow. First time in his career, Flex scored more than once in a game, which is extraordinary given that he's 28. Wow. Um, but yeah, it, so, uh, as Anton says, the, the nature of that squad. So I think 11 or 12 players in the first team squad started or were in the academy of a Premier League team and then either released or sold Fleck obviously slightly different in that he was at Rangers but same thing played 18 times in five years drops down to the EFL and that's what that's what Wilder wants because he thinks those players are more open to you know, being motivated to to be great in some the of their parts. And it's they've obviously played brilliantly, but it's extraordinary how just how high that ceiling is for coaching, preparing, motivating players can take you.
0: As for Villa, meanwhile, well, just goal difference above the bottom three, intriguingly the next three fixtures are the bottom three. They got Southampton at home, Norwich at home, and then Watford away. So that's huge. That is huge. And they're not a bad side
1: Villa. I like the way they use the ball in midfield, but they just not got enough in the final third. I think there's big questions about Wesley, who we started okay, but it's not just that he's not scoring goals. I don't think his movement's there. His link play isn't great. Stop fouling people as well. <laughs> Stop <laughs> fouling people, Wesley. Highest number of fouls in the Premier League this season by some stretch. Really? It's just
3: frustrating.
1: Wow. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I'm generally against the idea that in January you just have to go out and splash the cash, but... Yes. It feels like one really good attacker, whether a centre-forward or even a goal-scoring wide player, could really make the difference for Villa. Get Benteke back from Palace,
3: huh?
1: I think think, we're always quick to sort
3: of praise Villa because of the style and football they play. But I actually think Dean Smith's got to take a little bit of responsibility here as well. He keeps on chopping and changing at centre-back, and obviously losing Mings is a big deal. He keeps on chopping and changing in the centre and midfield as well. And as as Michael was saying, the, the front three just hasn't clicked really all season. But So there's no real consistency to that team. Their identity is playing nice football, but
0: actually who's playing the football changes week in, week out. Right. Uh, meantime, what happens when neither team wants the football and they play each other out football? Michael Cox watched Burnley against Newcastle to find out. That's the article I read this morning,
1: Michael. Yeah, one of my editors had a, a great idea. Why don't you do a tactical analysis of the game between the two sides with the least possession in the league? Right, and there were a couple of like dreadful passages of play. Literally, just <laughs> centre backs
2: left wing wasn't it, he? it? was
1: yeah. It was almost like you know, a couple of the centre backs were playing almost a game of tennis, just hoofing it to each other over right. a net
0: of twenty players in between. So Newcastle lost out both in score and also in terms of possession because they had fifty-two percent to. Burnley's 48%, although it's hard to say with those percentages that either side really won, I would yeah. venture. But anyway, um, nice. Filthy weather, filthy game,
1: basically. Yeah, and the goal was just an inswing corner that slightly caught the wind and was headed in from one yard. But to be fair, and I'm, you know, almost taking it like a, a bit of a joke, but in a game like that, you did see that actually Burnley are very well organised and good at what they do. The structure of their play is good, the movement's good. When a fullback goes forward, they've got a midfielder coming inside. Uh, the two midfielders, Cork and Westwood, are both very good on the ball when they do get the ball, and McNeil's just a really good player and, and really was head and shoulders above everyone else here. Um, and also the forwards, I mean, if you're going to play long ball football, you need your forwards to have a good relationship. And Wood and Barnes just mm. know where each other are. And a lot of the long balls are actually not to head header to chest and there's layoffs and there's one twos and and actually the one the corner from Barnes kind of flicking the ball around the corner to uh, to Wood running through. So I. I wouldn't want to watch Burnley every week, but I think as a kind of a bit of variety in the Premier League, I think it's good that teams do have that challenge and are forced to do things kind of outside their comfort zone.
2: We talked last week about um, Newcastle's counter-attacking threat when Mm. uh, Miguel Almaron and Alan Samaxman play. Uh, They were out, both of them, on Saturday, but moving forward, Samaxman was apparently out for a month. Oh, really? I think Newcastle only taken two points from the seven games he's not played this season, and that was at home to Brighton and at home to Watford, so... They've got a they've got a real problem on their hands if if he is out for any longer period of time because he's already had I think four muscle injuries this year that was always his problem if he continues to pick up injuries they're in a bit of trouble I think
0: the defeat leaves Newcastle they're still seven points clear of the bottom and Burnley moving up to just behind them in the table. Brighton are also there in that mix, about four points off the drop, but they can improve that Monday night if they can get a result away at Crystal Palace. Uh, the other game uh, to mention is, of course, Southampton-West Ham. Southampton in the bottom three, West Ham moving a little bit further away. The first win in 10 Premier League matches. Haller's first goal since October. Woo.
3: I really like Sebastian Aller. Mm-hmm. I think he's an excellent, excellent player, and I think he's was a really good signing for West Ham. The thing is, when he was at Eintracht Frankfurt, he had Lukic and Ante next to him. Now they, you know, one's a very direct threat, one's a goal scorer, but West Ham were playing him with very technical players around him. No one really making the runs. Bring Mikhail Antonio into the side, who offers that, and it and it clicked and it worked. And obviously, Antonio had a goal disallowed as well. So it feels as though you know maybe. Pellegrini's sort of starting to figure out how to how to make those that front four work because mm-hmm. he's he's got so much talent there with four nails and Lanzini, right. and Yarmolenko, but he doesn't know how to how to how to how to make that into a team, which is odd for an experienced manager, really, and I can completely see why the pressure's on him, considering he's the one that's asked for these players in the first place. Right. The, so um, so this, this result doesn't really do much to, to, to help Pellegrini in the short term. He's still under pressure.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Second time this season that West Ham have won, immediately after the club have made it known that Pellegrini has one game to save his job, which sets a wonderful precedent for every game from now on in. You <laughs> could this is West Ham, complete anti-leadership, just see how it happens and then postpone disaster. I think them winning this weekend does suddenly make it look, I know the gap to Everton's only three points, but it does suddenly make it look like potentially three from those bottom four now
0: um you expect everton to so improve the gap and between west ham everton and then you got the the, the quartet of villa southampton norwich yeah. and watford
2: because the the three directly above them everton west ham bournemouth you'd expect all of them to improve i think i know it's really tight but it's just to me it suddenly does look maybe like three in those four
0: all right that was the weekend then in the premier league more to come in a week's time but for now let's get uh, some odds on uh, some of the midweek action, producer Ben, talking to Paddy Power.
4: This thing on? Hello? Ah, there you are, listeners. Yes, this is producer Ben. I'm on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, all sorts of stuff going on this midweek. Most of it, or, well, some of it, involving Liverpool. They've got two games in 24 hours. Can they win both of them?
5: <laughs> I suspect this might be quite a popular double on Merseyside the Reds are 2-9 to, to beat Monterrey in the Club World Cup semi-final the Mexican side are 17-2 to, to win that and that's the exact same price you can get on a youthful Liverpool team winning a day earlier in the Carabao Cup quarter-final where Aston Villa are the huge 1-5 favourites to win that tie bizarre. For Liverpool to win both fixtures in the space of a day, it's just over 10-1. to 1, And that does make it unlikely, but after the 2019 Liverpool have had, could you really truly rule it out? I'm not sure I can. They're 8-1 to 1 to win the Carabao Cup outright, and 3-10 to 10 to win the Club World Cup.
4: And sticking with Merseyside teams, Everton, can they get some big dunk energy when they take on Leicester in their Carabao Cup quarter-final?
5: Mm, this is the toughest one to call of the round. We do have a favourite here, of course, but no one's odds on and that spells value. Everton and decent nick under Big Dunk, they're seven to four to win this one. Leicester, who were rampant until they met Norwich over the weekend, are thirteen to ten, with the draw after ninety minutes thirteen to five. As for the hosts, Everton, David Moyes remains the favourite to be the next manager at two to one, but Big Dunk is getting some love from the Punters at least. He's into second favourite at three to one, overtaking Carlo Ancelotti no less, who's now seven to two third favourite.
4: And finally, leave from Merseyside to Manchester, can United and City do the double against Oxford and Colchester in their League Cup quarterfinals?
5: The two Manchester sides are each 1-10 to to win their games. Oxford, who are in decent form and are at home, are 17-1 to beat Man City, while Colchester are 22-1 to get a famous win at Old Trafford. So for two mega-cup sets in the same night, it's an enormous 413-1. We think it's far more likely to be a chasing leave than for Oxford and Colchester. Our traders rate it just evens that both Premier League teams score at least three times. In other words, they expect the back of the net for each lower league side to be positively bulbous. Ouch.
0: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Listeners, by now you'll know who's drawn who in the Champions League and Europa League. And, uh, you know, by the time you hear this, maybe it's Tuesday morning and you can catch straight after listening to this the brand new Totally Football Show, the Tuesday edition, very much Eurocentric, Michael, mm-hmm. when we'll have Rafa, Jules, Alvaro, and uh, James H with the hottest of hot takes. But for now, since you're here, I'll just read through them and you shout out who you think's going to win. You ready? Listen, I play along at home. Uh, (laughs) Richard Dortmund against PSG. PSG. PSG, yeah. Really? Dortmund. Uh, uh, Sorry,
2: we got (laughs) it wrong. We were wrong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Real Madrid, Manchester
3: City. 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 Watch Real Madrid last night. (laughs) They are ease. No, no, they should be. City should walk that. Genuinely should. They genuinely should. I don't know,
1: Anton.
0: Atalanta, Valencia. Atalanta. 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 Atalanta.
1: Atletico, Madrid, Liverpool. 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 Liverpool, but I think that's the tie of the round
0: from, Do you think from so? From what I've
3: heard, yeah. Chelsea, Bayern, Munich. Bayern. Bayern, yeah. but I think that's this is my this I looking forward to this one the most. Oh yeah? Yeah, I am. I think it's just Chelsea it's a fascinating sort of, you know, benchmark as to where they are. Leon Juve? up uh, Uve.
0: Yeah. yeah I down. mean you never know, but UV yeah should be. And Spurs Spurs V RB Leipzig. Spurs.
5: Close,
1: yeah. I mean, it's so tough to predict. So much can happen in two months. Do you know what? It's pointless. I bet, it. like, <laughs> I, I bet like, two of the managers at least will have changed between right. now and then. It's okay. so difficult
0: to predict. All right. And uh, here's one you might find easier to predict. Gennaro Gattuso's Napoli against Barcelona.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, that's a nice man yeah, on a derby from,
0: though. Yeah, Barcelona. Yeah, that's true. Very nice. Anyway, as I say, uh, Totally Football Show European Edition, the regular Tuesday show to you, uh, will be going through all of that with all the uh, European expertise of Rafa, Jules Alvaro and James Horn, Brilliant. OK, a uh, Totally Football League show is out on Wednesday. You'll be catching that one, I'm sure, Daniel, to hear them break down Sheffield Wednesday's 4-0 win over Nottingham Forest and more. Mm. The wheels officially come off. Yes. Oh, have they? Yes. What about Leeds throwing away a 3-0 lead? To draw three-three with ten-man Cardiff, the wheels
2: very temporarily came off there, but oh, really? I suspect okay. will be reattached this week. Excellent.
0: <laughs> if you're hungry for more top sporting action, uh, then it, it's almost strongman season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but tonight Giants Live, which is kind of the preliminary series of events before World Strongest Man, that kicks off. I think it might be Britain's Strongest Man, which of course that title is wi- wide open. It's up for grabs. <laughs> Uh, because which, which uh, beautiful part of the world is World's Strongest Man this year? It's in Florida, oh. Bradenton uh, County, I think. Ah, the, the, yeah, yeah, the most famous part of Florida. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> yeah. well, you know, Anna Maria Islands, very it's some lovely beaches. It was sultry, Anton. I'm not going to lie, oh, Lovely. It's it. quite sticky. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's coming up. It starts on the 27th. <laughs> Lots of sticky balls, but then uh, we always have uh, Atlas stones at the end of every event. Um, nice. That's 27th of December that begins. But Giants Live, if you you know you just get in on that. Britain's mm. strongest man. Who's who's going to take over from Eddie Hall? Jeff I Gabes. don't know. Tune in and find out, Daniel. Mm. Nice. Ooh, late uh, tweet here from listener Sasu Hainu, who says: Should Arsenal appoint Magnus Carlson as their manager?
2: Yeah, top of the <laughs> world fantasy football Premier League right standings. Apparently. Now, listen, if
0: you're not a fancy manager, and plenty of you aren't. And this is not to go all fancy on you because we have a separate show for that. But there are over 7 million. I think it's 7.2 million managers Mm. worldwide. Uh, Not all of whom are active. I mean, a lot of people set up their team at the start of the year and then lose interest after they, you know, forget to captain Vardy or whatever it is. But I would say around 4 to 5 million are active. And Carlson has just gone into number one and even updated his. uh, Carlson is the world number one in chess. yeah, yeah. And he's just updated mm. his Twitter bio to say currently number one in the world. The great thing about football.
2: that is that it was it was it became known last week that he was number six or seven. Yeah, and he's managed to get up to first in the space one week. It's not the first time a celebrity has been up there because is it last year or the year before that? Stuart last, broad, yeah. won a game week of every of all seven million people in the world.
0: Right Which is a slightly grey area because sometimes you'll have people, as indeed happened last week, mm. who make twelve transfers. Well, I think
2: that I think that's more. In, almost more impressive because, by all accounts, Stuart Broad didn't cheat. No, no, he didn't. He didn't. So he, he just, just did genuinely is yes.
0: very, very good. Yeah, interesting. Magnus
3: Carsten. What's Arteta's fancy Premier League rating? That's what I want to know.
0: I don't know. No. I'll try and find that out. <laughs> us, uh,
1: interesting. Magnus Carlsen beat Trent Alexander-Arnold at a game of chess earlier this no, year. He did, yeah. mm. Really?
0: did, Really? Yeah.
2: <laughs> it would have been a bigger story if it was the other way around. Yeah, that is it true. <laughs>
0: yeah. all right. it's, it's a little bit dog bites man. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what happened... Well, Why Alexander,
1: were they playing chess? Well, Alexander Arnold is a big chess fan, Bowler. So oh, okay. I think plays, is it Joe Gomez or someone he plays yes. with on England or Liverpool duty? Uh-huh. Uh But I mean, it was a bit of a PR thing, but Alexander Arnold is a genuine chess fan. I think Carlson won in about 13 moves, uh,
2: which is what you'd expect. Yeah. There's a very it's hard good, to part book, the bus. There's a very good book called Football and Chess. Yeah. yeah. You, the, about, about football tactics, but sort of told through chess and creating space. And huh. it's. It's, it's quite nerdy, isn't it? But it's quite interesting.
3: Yeah. All right. I mean, so, that's extending a metaphor a bit too far, isn't it, really? Yeah. Okay.
0: Although oh, uh, Sasso Haino may have a point then.
1: Basically, yeah, but it's, I think there are more similarities than people think. Benitez has spoken quite a lot about this, actually. Did a Is really he... good interview, I think, with Dan Walker a few years ago, where they kind of talk about football while playing a game of chess. Nice. And uh, Yeah, it's very Benitez.
0: Hmm. <laughs> All right. I might look that out. Totally Football Show will also be back on Thursday... Of course, one will be joined by Tom Williams, Duncan Alexander, and woo sound sounder David Priest. So David Priest back from his what a uh,
2: boy band that is.
0: Yeah, I mean including fair, yourself of course. Yeah, well thanks Daniel. I think today we'd we'd make a pretty Mess. pretty chart worthy ensemble. <laughs> nah. brilliant. Thanks for coming in today, Anton Touloui. You're, you're welcome. A <laughs> 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 last bang on that. Daniel's story. I thought
2: you were going to go for the story either. That's a no, show. It doesn't.
0: <clears throat> no, it doesn't work, it doesn't. does it? No. And Michael Cox. Thank Brilliant. you for having me. Thank you, listener. Uh, do enjoy the rest of our output, and we'll
4: catch up with you later on.